Hey, Zero Block 30 listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Pride members can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball Nip. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball Nips and have a great time on the golf course. Today's episode of Zero Block 30 is brought to you by our beloved, our beloved friends at Starbucks. I started my day off with a delicious Starbucks. What I get, you know me, friends. I got a sweet cream vanilla cold brew with an extra shot. Actually, make that two extra shots. So I think there was like five shots in that bitch. I was feeling good. And then this dude came over to my house to fix my doorknob. He looked at me like I wasn't manly. And then I reminded him slowly and steadily that I had five shots of espresso and I handled it with great aplomb. You could do that too. For the next three or four months, we are going to have a relationship with Starbucks. And it's great because they are one of the only sponsors that we have, I think, in the entire Barstool Network. So it's not even asking you to buy anything. They just want you to check out to see what they're doing for veterans, like hiring 17,000 veterans and military spouses since 2013 and increasing their commitment to 25,000 by 2025. They also team up with Red, White, and Blue, Team Rubicon, the mission continues, and on and on it goes. They have 45 military family stores and military communities across America with 132 planned by 2022. Military family stores are a place where you can get veteran community feedback, work, unwind, and connect. These stories are all host Military Mondays where veteran service organizations can provide transition guidance, which we're very passionate about. We are going to be going out to Seattle next week and then san diego and texas to bring you some very good videos i'm going to be attacked by a dog and kate is hearing for the first time right now that she will be too so it'll be really fun maybe we will throw pfc brent in the boot in, into the suit too and that'll be all brought to you by our friends at starbucks let's fucking go cue the damn music shots, shots of, of espresso. espresso yes you're just cooking I was I'm drinking cooking. it on the I can subway. See you vibrating. I feel oh, yeah. though you—that's you, something that you need to reserve. You can't be doing five shots every day because then eventually your body will adjust and it will no longer have yeah. any sort of positive effect. It on was you. basically like when I used to take pre-workout all the time. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I had to like snort that shit and direct and direct <laughs> like put it Just shoot it into your veins. Pre-basing C4. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm actually feeling and riding high about our military benefits right now because. We're having some changes in the family. My wife's going to go to work for herself, um, which I'm really excited about. But our dental and vision insurance has always been brought to you by the good people at her employer. I haven't Ah. ever had to use Barstool or anything outside of TRICARE. So we were looking at different insurance policies of what we could get. We're keeping TRICARE as like our primary medical insurance. But going into vision and dental and shit like that. Goddamn expensive, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it Fuck, is. Dude, I was look. I mean, the Barstool plant's pretty good, like three hundred and ten dollars a month for a family. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's just what it dude. costs. You know, cost of doing business here in the uh, United so, States. Because I got medically retired, I can I still have Tricare, so I pay I think five hundred and seventy five dollars for the year for my entire family for everything. Not a penny more. Yeah, like if we have to go to the emergency room, if we have to go any anything, we don't have any copays, we don't have any of that shit. $500 for the year 
looks like the steal of a lifetime because I, I used agree. to bitch about it. Yeah. Like 500 bucks a year, that's a lot. Now I feel like an idiot. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. When you talk about hundreds of dollars oh, taken out of yeah. your paycheck every month, 500 is it is stealing. So, I mean, that really has to be your best bet, especially when you consider you have two children and a wife. I mean, and consider with my brain injuries and like all the stuff that I have to do constantly, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what I would be getting into as far as insurance goes. When I get old, like having that insurance <laughs> when I get old is going to be invaluable. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. that's 100%. that's a multi-million dollar benefit. Yes, that. 100%. And I think you benefit, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but you benefit from the fact that you have good facilities, good hospitals in the area where you live. Yeah, I mean... Which is not Bamsey, the case everywhere. Yeah, Bamsey is the biggest military hospital in the world outside of Military Reed mm-hmm. and one of the most advanced in the world. Like They send surgeons from Harvard, from um, Boston Medical Center down to here to do treatment, yeah. to learn how to do a lot of this stuff. So yeah. it's one of the best hospitals in the world, and that's where I go. So I'm pretty fortunate about that. Quick so little- I'm riding high about Shoving it in people's face. Yeah, wow. That, I feel like money. for five minutes just there, I just got it shoved in my face that you have good, you got good coverage, <laughs> and yeah, uh, I don't it. even know how to visit just, the dentist or take care of myself. So you just thank you get for shot next thanks time. for shoving that in my face. Just yeah. get shot yeah. next time. Quick story about that hospital, though, chaps. When my father was five years old, my uncle was three years old. My grandfather was stationed in Arizona as a pilot in the Air Force, fighter pilot, and he was having a big barbecue with all his uh, flight buddies, and my dad stole my uncle's milk, right? So my uncle has a temper, walks over to a tiki torch, shakes the tiki torch, and it falls down on top of him and burns him severely to the point where they had to airlift him out of there and take him to that hospital that you just mentioned, chaps. No way. Yeah, Yeah, he nearly nearly died. It's the primary burn unit. Yep. Like in the world, the best burn unit in the world. Like if you get blown up by an ID, they take you here. Yeah, because it had just, like, oil in it. He just poured oil in it, so that oh. hot oil just went all over him. Yeah, he nearly died. Priest came in, read the last rites and everything. No way. That's yeah. wild. So Big well, Al would have had your big... last rites read, you're allowed to do whatever you want. Right. So That's he's true. good. Yeah. That's true. That's pretty sick. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, can I do a quick take us off course a little bit? Let's see where you take sure. us. Because it's you, not going to be fun facts on colonoscopies, is it? No, that's I haters. <laughs> you can check out, like, and subscribe that, too. Uh, okay. But speaking of going off course, who knows where that Hurricane Florence is going to go, gang? Mm. I mean, mm. probably the Carolinas, it looks mm-hmm. like. But uh, according to CNN, I've been seeing a lot in the news about the military. Mm-hmm. The Marines are holding strong in place. But I think a lot of holding people. stupid, really. Yeah, really. <laughs> pretty stupid. much. They're in a swamp, uh, but that's okay. Um but I didn't realize that w- the military is the ones that fly those planes into the center of the hurricane oh, and yeah. stuff like that mm-hmm. and take all those pictures. Yeah. How badass of a job is that? Like, I just well, so long as you don't get knocked down, I guess it is. But the, how do the planes not? With the wind so strong, they're like, all right, we're going into well, they the wall. Go, they go up and over it, like yep. into the atmosphere, and then they go down inside the wall, and that's how they can— inside the eye of the hurricane that's how they do it it's unbelievable but it's incredible i mean because i feel if my if turbulence causes my stroop waffle to fall off my coffee on a plane <laughs> right I get right like i'm like what the fuck is going on here yeah. get control of this goddamn aircraft but they don't do it and i could not imagine how scary that would be the first time because there was videos whenever it was harvey that was going through houston yeah there was videos of the pilots taking when they were actually flying in the hurricane not just like inside the wall, but they were inside the hurricane. Yeah, it's some, wild. some balls of steel there. Be, well, I, 
And I'd imagine the aircraft is equipped a little differently than your standard commercial airline. I think it's like an Amelia Earhart plane that they all <laughs> climb in, they climb in a little basket, put their goggles on. They're like, here we go. But I just want to read the military, like every branch is doing stuff. So from CNN, the Navy sorted dozens of ships out of harm's way. So I don't, didn't even think about that. Like the Navy's got to get all their boats out of the way when mm-hmm. that happens. Mm-hmm. They got to be properly equipped and stocked to do that. The Coast Guard's preparing helicopters and small boat fleets. The National Guard in several states is being called up. Marines aren't doing much, but they're hunkering down because <laughs> they're not allowed to go anywhere, apparently. Tough guys. Tough you know, guys. tough guys. They're going to shoot the, the clouds. They're going to fire. Uh, they're going to shoot the storm away, I think, is what they do. Uh, but every year, I feel like people don't know how much the military really does during hurricanes. Especially, we don't think about it. Yeah. You see the National Guard, though? I feel like I would love to be. Am I going on a tangent? <laughs> Friends giving chaps the look. No, I'm giving chaps a look because he's stuffing his I'm face eating. with something. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I would be crucified, I like- crucified I like if I was doing this right now. Could you right hear now. me? No, you no, can't hear you into the mic. But See? I mean, it's still- last night when we were doing high haters, chaps had a, as chaps had a colonoscopy yesterday, and we could literally hear him through the headphones ripping ass. Oh, during that's the show, lovely. he that's didn't lovely. think we could pick it up, but the mics were picking it up because I guess it makes you gassy. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I know. Well, speaking of, speaking of a strong wind, am I right? <laughs> but, oh, all goodness. right. Anyway, no, so we had, a, we had a, a, you know, a really positive response to the episode with, with Large. And I, yeah. I have to say thank you again to, to Large for joining us and telling us the story of his day on, on 9-11. If you haven't, go please go back and, and listen to that. And I, yeah. I think I was talking to uh, my, my mother about it and it really is crazy to think now 17 years there's so many people even you know in their early 20s that just don't have those memories so in order to keep those memories alive and the whole never forget aspect of 9-11 it is important I think to tell those stories yeah and you I could saw... join the military if you were born on mm-hmm. September 11 2001 this was the first year that you could do that because you could join at 17 well that was making news on the 12th was like all right today's the first day that like Kids are joining up that were not alive when, right. when that day happened. Um, they're still boots. Yeah. Still, still dumb boots. Oh, yeah. still Absolutely. Boots. Time, I mean, boots. that makes them even bigger boots, I think. Yeah. I mean. No anyway. doubt about it. No <laughs> doubt about it. Oh, that's crazy, so I came, I came back on the flight. I was really looking forward to the Bob Woodward book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's get into this. Was, Wait, can we talk about what you were looking forward to most at the airport? Because Chaps was in New York last week. So he mm. goes to the airport. First, you said you were going to get your book, but the spaghetti. My favorite thing to get was spaghetti. Yeah, I like to go to Newark Airport. I think the spaghetti there is legitimately good. This and blows because my mind. Everybody always what? shits on sense. Newark Airport, but it's good. Like The what, what terminal in there are legitimately good. What terminal? The United Terminal. Yeah, the United Terminal was just redone recently in the, in, you know, within inside of five years. It's unbelievable now. Oh, it the really United is. It's, I think Great it's legitimately my favorite term, yeah. terminal that there is. I yeah. think it's my favorite airport that there is because <laughs> you sit down at your gate, you have a little touchscreen meal, mm-hmm. you can get whatever you want, and actually I didn't have spaghetti this time. I had ramen. They have a nice little oh, wow. ramen bar and it it was really really good pulled chicken ramen it was great but you got but my main reason why i got to the airport early because i thought this bob woodward book was going to sell out and i couldn't order it to the office Mm because it was too early in the morning but i wanted a chance to read it so there was tons of copies still still there by the way yeah so i like got to the airport like three hours early for no reason i think a lot of people Quite honestly, and I'll let you fatigued. continue. They're fatigued, yeah. and they just don't care anymore. Even no matter what's in that book, there's a lot of people in this country that just don't care. 
And a lot of people probably I, just dismiss it as, oh, that's a bunch of lies. Yeah, I, I don't think that that many people are dismissing it as outright lies because he has tapes. Like he can prove like these stories are like substantiated through tapes mm-hmm. for, through firsthand accounts. He actually has them in quotes. And Bob Woodward is a great reporter. Like he's Yeah, he has a lot of integrity. Unquestioned. He's the gold like standard. He's, yeah, he's yes, the gold he standard. Is, exactly. I've so actually, whenever, believe it or not, I've, I've heard him speak before. He spoke in front of my class in college. Really? Yeah. Good speaker? Uh, I don't remember. I was paying attention. Oh, my God. <laughs> ah, youth. Classic, friend. That's civilians no. for you. Am I right? I dive into the book, and really what it boils down to, what the book essentially is, is, like, you've all seen Avatar, right? Like, you've seen mm-hmm. Avatar. Right. It's a no. long fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you're like, we get it, dude. Like, these avatars are pretty badass. We need to help out the avatar. It's like the extended cut of Avatar, where <laughs> if you've read the Washington Post or New York Times over the last two years, you knew every single story that was in this book. It was just the long version. Right. Of it. it was right. just like a little bit more detail, but there's nothing in there that was shocking. I, I mean, was you don't say, walk did away. Did anything with... stand out to you? Nothing gave you pause? Not really. I mean,. I think the closest one that wasn't widely reported, all the juicy parts were already pretty widely reported. Mm-hmm. But the one that stuck out to me the most was Trump as a businessman mm-hmm. saying that if they were in a deficit, let's just print more money. Like that part was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that, on, dude. Uh, that, that's like a first grader's understanding of how the economy works. Yeah. Oh, we, we're and, short. Let's just make more. So I think. I'll give what I think happened. Okay. So I think Cohen is the main vo- main voice in the book. Mm-hmm. I think that he gives Woodward the most because he comes off looking the best. Mm-hmm. He comes off looking smart, like he's sophisticated. He's talking to Trump in a way that he can get through him and get what he wants him to do. So I think Trump- Cohen was the primary source. Mattis actually comes out of it looking pretty good, where Mattis really? like knows what's going on. He's very calm and collected, doesn't get into the fray. Stays away, just does his Department of Defense shit, and doesn't get too involved with everything else. Kelly looks like a goddamn lunatic. Oh, <laughs> <Kelly> no. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, oh, General it, Kelly. Where he just get threatens to quit all the time. Yeah. And yeah. I don't, that's the only part of the whole book where I'm like, I'm not sure if that's true. Because he, in the Oval Office, his scre- like they say, I think two or three times in the book, that he screams at President Trump, like, I'm going to resign, I'm going to quit if this is the way it's going to be. I don't see Trump handling that well. No, like, no, you, I was going to say, like, I think he gives the utmost respect to the folks who were in the military, especially at that level. So I do think I could picture him just sitting oh, there. No, I don't think he cares. Book is I don't no? think Trump gives a no. flying. The book, like yeah. there was a lot of parts where, um, forget who, Tillerson. Tillerson, one of the main reasons why Tillerson wanted to quit was because very specifically – the way that President Trump talked to the generals. Oh. Like that he yeah. would always dress them down. The only one that he didn't really do well, it to no, was Mattis. No, okay, so are you talking about his 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 chiefs of staff or the retired generals who are the now retired on a, generals, okay. chief of staff, all of them. Like all right, the well then that's that surprising. He, I would I, I it struck me that he gave a lot of reverence to, to those individuals. I so, hope General and, Kelly. I, mean, goes I don't know if that part's true. I just don't see if Kelly is legitimately yelling in the Oval Office saying that he's going to quit and storms out and slams his door to the chief of staff, mm-hmm. I don't think that goes well no. for him. I no. think that Trump would immediately fire somebody. Uh, I because like it. I think you, Trump you, is a man who admires a little drama and razzle-dazzle. 
And I feel like General Kelly's giving it to him. Yeah, maybe. That's like classic boardroom of you're fired, Emma Rosa losing her marbles. Like, I feel like that makes Trump feel nestling and feel right at home. Maybe he respects the fact that he's willing to stand up to him. And yeah. that's and, and that's also what I think you get from Mattis as well. The fact that he's not going to just cower, be it General Kelly or General Mattis, and, and just kowtow to whatever Trump says. They're willing to stand up and provide what they think is the right answer and what their opinion is. Also, Trump probably knows that Mattis could karate chop him, taken style, <laughs> yeah. right in the jugular like Liam Neeson. <laughs> I think that helps. Yeah, they all, they, the whole book is basically talks about how much of a badass Mattis is. And, but at the same time, like, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the Department of Defense that he doesn't like, like the, the way that the troops are being treated, like some of the comments that President Trump has made, and there's comments that Mattis makes along the way, too. I mean, it's a decent book. It's a decent read. But if you've read the Washington Post for the last two years, there's absolutely no reason. Nothing earth-shattering. Nothing at all. I, the only thing that was really surprising to me was how much – I mean, two things. Kelly looks like a fucking lunatic, and – the fact that Tillerson, one of the biggest reasons why he said that he quit was because of the way that the generals were treated, hmm. which I don't think that you have to deal with generals with kid gloves. Like, no, fuck that. They can like take you're it. in those position, you're in those positions. Who gives a shit if Agreed. you're a general or not? You're not right now. Right. Shut the fuck up. Like, right. And so. whether you are a general and you are at the top of your top of the food chain in your particular branch, um. You know, it doesn't matter now because, as you said, they're they're no longer there. So, yeah the the way that they're all connected is pretty interesting too. The way all the different generals are connected throughout their time and service, throughout the different places they've been in the world, they've all worked basically in each other's commands or for each other at some point. Like Kelly had worked for Mattis, Mattis had worked for Kelly. Oh, another part that was interesting was how why Mattis was fired um, from CENTCOM. Like he wanted to do different things, and President Obama said no, that they didn't want to go into Iran or to go be more active in Syria. Mm-hmm. And Mattis basically said, "Well, if you're not going to take my advice, then I resign." So that was the reason why, like, he left the military. Like, yeah. was because such a big disagreement between him and President Obama. Well, I appreciate that he stood on his principles there, and that makes a lot of sense. What, what's what's what? purpose am I serving here if you're not listening to anything? I could speak to the wall if you're ultimately going to just do whatever you want. What the hell is the point of me being here? So I respect that. Stay and advise. I mean, I could see the arguments for both sides there. Like, sure. you stay on and advise even if the commander... I mean, it's like somebody that's your assistant wants to quit because you're not taking their advice in a specific area, but you still need your voice heard. I think you can make that argument on both sides, but Mattis decided that he had enough, and I got to respect that too. Mm -hmm. If you haven't had enough NFL and you want to go watch it in person this week, go with our friends at SeatGeek. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I found to shop for tickets. I could be anywhere in just a few taps. I can instantly find seats. I actually just got SeatGeek to go to Hamilton. Excited about going to Hamilton with the kids. And Waitress the Musical. A lot of musicals coming down to San Antonio, which is nice. They never usually come. We've seen like Hairspray here. We've seen... um, a couple of we've seen Wicked before. We've seen a few other ones, but now some of the bigger name ones that are just coming out are going to make their way down to lovely San Antonio. I'm excited about that because I get to use SeatGeek. And if you've never used SeatGeek, you can get $10 off your first purchase by going to SeatGeek app and entering the promo code CHAPS. That's promo code CHAPS for $10 off your SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, it's the smartest way to buy your tickets in the world. In the world, folks. All right, we're going to do a little interview with our guy, Sean Parnell. Here comes that. Hey, how you doing? Good, buddy. Good. I got um, it's uh, it's me and um, one of my co-hosts, Kate, with me right now. Hi, Sean. 
Hey, Kate, are you the, are you the Marine on on Twitter that I think is really funny? I hope so. Yeah, it, she is. <laughs> yeah, she is. That's you. Hey, that's you. <laughs> All right, joining us now is veteran author. He's been on the show before. U.S. Army Airborne Ranger. U.S. Ar- Army in the Airborne Ranger. Legendary 10th Mountain Division for six years, retiring as a captain. Two Bronze Stars, one for Valor, Purple Heart. No big deal. I have a good conduct medal, Sean, so you're not that special. <laughs> Sean uh, Parnell. <laughs> Sean Parnell. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing really good. I, I really appreciate that, that stellar introduction. You guys rehearsed that, didn't you? No, that no. was right off the top of her own I, noggin you there. You rehearsed it. I was doing jazz it. hands while I said it. That's how relaxed <laughs> I am with this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially you. I know you were rehearsing it. <laughs> All right. So uh, obviously the reason we have Sean on, Sean just uh, came out with a new book. And and to take a step back from the first time that Sean joined us, Sean wrote a book called Outlaw Platoon. If you haven't read that yet, stop what you're doing right now. Go get that book. It is a fantastic read about uh, Sean's uh, time in the military. And and Sean, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this week was uh, 9-11. And obviously 9-11 had a very significant impact on you. Yeah, it did. I mean, I was a I was a sophomore in college at the time. I mean, I didn't really know what my major was going to be, but I think back then it was like elementary education. Uh, but but I think I, the majority of of what I was focused on was trying to figure out how I was going to get my hands on beer each night. And so <laughs> I remember like waking up in this rundown college apartment and like had the hangover of a lifetime, and you know stagger over to the TV set and turn it on just in time to see an airplane crash into the World Trade Center. And so. You know, I remember watching the um, the first responders that day or just, you know, run into the flames as opposed to run away from them to try to save themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the people that ran into the flames that day never came out again with their lives. And all of it was, the, you know, just an attempt to save people that in many cases that they didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, how can I sit here and do nothing when ordinary American citizens are sacrificing their lives for people that they don't even know? And so... I don't know. I mean, I feel like there are times in our lives where, you know, we're met with such clarity and we know exactly what we're doing is the right thing and the path that we're on is the right one. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, I made my decision right there to serve something greater than myself, get in the fight uh, against against the, the assholes that attacked us. Am I allowed to say that on a podcast? Absolutely. That, right? Assholes, okay. but. Is, is it encouraged? It, <laughs> yes, absolutely. it is. It, it adds color to everything. So obviously that set you okay, on your, your army career path and. And then you decided to memorialize uh, what you experienced in the military in the book Outlaw Platoon. So after Outlaw Platoon came out, where do you go from there in terms of Man of War, which is the book that just came out on on Tuesday? Well, I mean, I wrote Outlaw Platoon so that Americans can understand what my soldiers actually went through. You know, I mean, guys would come home on R&R leave and... And they would, you know, Americans would come up to him and they were always so grateful. Oh, thank you so much for your service. Where were you deployed? Oh, oh, you were, oh, you're in Afghanistan? Thank God, you know, thank God you're not in Iraq because it's just so dangerous over there. And my guys would be like, dude, I just got shot in the head last week. Yeah. What the hell? And so um, my guys would come back really dejected from something that was supposed to, uh, you know, leave that was supposed to recharge their batteries. And so I just thought to myself, you know, the charge of a leader uh, is, is something that is lifelong. It's an oath that you don't relinquish. And so I wanted to make sure that I captured the legacy of my soldiers, put it down on the page so that somebody 100 years from now can pick it up and read about their heroism on the battlefield. Uh, Man of War had a similar a similar catalyst behind it as well. And, and it's just, you know, I, I witnessed 
a lot of acts of heroism. I mean, really, ultimately, that's I told you. I just told you both that that was why I joined the military, mm-hmm. watching people on September 11th. Um, and then I watched my men in Afghanistan do similar things. You know, I thought to myself, like, there is a void in this country in mainstream entertainment with heroes that exemplify, you know, or embody the the American warrior ethos as it is. Mm-hmm. You know, things like duty, honor, sacrifice, bravery. You know, the the idea that freedom in this country is worth protecting and dying for if need be. And so Eric Steele, my main character, he's not only he's he's named after one of my old brigade commanders in in Afghanistan as well. Such a good name, uh, by the way. Great. That is a great name. You know, yeah, I mean, that's how I felt when I saw him. Like he was he was a four, seven, three commander of the 82nd Airborne. He came in. He's like six, ten. You know, I see his last name, S-T-E-E-L-E, you know? Oh, yeah. And I'm just thinking he's got this, like, loud, booming voice. And I'm like, <laughs> God, man, if I ever make it out of this country and I write a book, that is going to be my hero's last name. And mm-hmm. so, that's, so that's what I call him, Eric Steele. He embodies the greatness, of, you know, of the, the greatest aspects of the, of the warrior ethos, and he loves this country. He believes it's worth dying for, believes that, you know, part of his mission, you know, he always has a mission, but if he believes that he can save innocent life along the way, he does. And so... You know, I thought that there was a void in mainstream entertainment, and I wanted to give, you know, I mean, look, I mean, here's the deal. Like, I watched Back to the Future growing up and Indiana Jones, and how often was Indiana Jones punching a Nazi in the face? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It was great. Right? I mean, and, and every kid that grew up and as part of my generation wanted to be – like Indiana Jones, and I just feel like this generation doesn't have an Indiana Jones or Marty McFly or any other character like that that hmm. that, that young people can aspire to be like, but the people that the characters that that ultimately love our country too. So Eric Steele is certainly not at their level yet, but hopefully someday he will be. That's now, awesome. what was it like? Because Outlaw Platoon, obviously nonfiction. This is your second book, and it's fiction. Was it a lot more difficult this time? Kind of. Because before you're writing off real experiences, now you're kind of coming up with these things like out of your mind on your own. Yeah. What was your process yeah. kind of? I'm guessing, if I could guess, I'm guessing you went to a small British cottage for a few months. <laughs> you put on a cardigan with leather elbow patches, nestled in with your typewriter. Is that is that your process? I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, more like uh, you know, I'm naked from the waist down with a laptop, right <laughs> as best as I can. Yeah. You know, if that, my 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 description is far less sexy than yours, but <laughs> but uh, you know, no. I mean, like, yeah, transitioning from nonfiction to fiction is a, is a real challenge. I mean, you know, not you know, John Bruning helped me write Outlaw Platoon. Mm-hmm. He taught me, you know, how to tell a good story. I mean, and, and what was what your writing tell, experience prior to Outlaw Platoon? None. I right. mean, I could write a good history paper or right. maybe publish an op-ed or something. But, right. I mean, that that's what I was getting to, man, is that, like, it's like just because you're a good writer doesn't mean you're a good storyteller. And what mm-hmm. I tell people all the time that aspire to write fiction, it's far more important to be a good storyteller. That has to come first. The writing can come with practice. But you have to learn the, the components of, of what makes a story really exceptional. And so it took me – I mean, look, Outlaw Platoon came out in 2012. Man of War, it's, what, 2000? I don't even remember the years. 2018. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, took me six years to really figure it out, and I think I wrote and rewrote and rewrote again, Man of War, like something like four times, you know, just to get the the pacing right. And, Mm. you know, my process, the way I started it, uh, and learned along the way, the best thing to do if you're going to write a fiction book is to is to come up with five or six like major sweeping action sequences or scenes or key scenes to your story, right? Mm -hmm. Just like 
outline them in critical detail and you just write to those waypoints, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, come up with the, the, the beginning, come up with the end, uh, and then add a couple of kick-ass scenes in the middle. Oh, and, yeah. And that's what, that's, yeah, and then you write to those scenes. That's uh, easy enough. And just seeing the name <laughs> Eric Steele, I'm just saying. Again, I'm circling back to Eric Steele. Does it Much like you? I picture the British Cottage, you t I picture Eric Steele like... I haven't read the book yet. It's in the works for me. I'm going to order it. But I just picture him rolling in on a white stallion with like a with a, with shirt a off. saw in his arm. Like, yeah. yeah I just, with a mullet? Does, yeah. He have, does he have a mullet? Oh, in yeah. Dream? Does he have a mullet? It's flowing. It's flowing in the breeze. He's kicking ass, taking names. But really, I can't wait I mean, to read it. Well, I, well I'm, I'm really excited that that that's how you picture Eric Steele, because that's exactly how I pictured him in my mind. Too. Good, good. Sean, was there any significance to releasing on 9-11, or that just was what your publisher told you, and it just happened to be a coincidence? You know, you know, September 11th, had, you know, part of the reason why I created Eric Steele was because of what I witnessed on September 11th. Mm -hmm. so, and, and I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have made the decision to, to join the military were it not for that, for that fateful day in our country. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it had symbolic meaning for me. Uh, personally, and it's just something that it's just something. It's a day that you know. Not only did it change our country forever, and you know, it was the worst terrorist attack in our nation's history. Thousands and thousands of civilians lost their lives that day. So, I mean, it's an attack on innocent civilians, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, how much more evil can you get? I mean, so, but uh, it inspired me to serve, you know, and inspired me to write. I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be on the path that I'm on today were it not for that that terrible terrorist attack so i just felt like it was appropriate yeah that makes sense and i mean you're a full-blown author now second new york times bestseller new york times bestseller this is your second book you're already working on the second installment of the eric Steele man of war series yeah i it, just turned it in today wow that's exciting bah, that's very exciting bah, bah. so if th that this has basically <laughs> become your career you're an author now what would you say to young aspiring authors, whether they are in the military or just, you know, find themselves face down in a college dorm room, much like you were on a, on a Tuesday morning? Well, if you want to write, it's you, 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 you have to, it just has to be one of those things that, that you got to be willing to knock on that door until your knuckles bleed. You know, mm -hmm. every major publishing house, except for one, uh, rejected Outlaw Platoon. I was rejected by, I can't even tell you how many literary agents uh, trying to get one to publish Outlaw Platoon. I was even rejected by my own agent four times, and I just annoyed him enough to, at one point, he was just like, the hell with it, like, fine, I'll take you on, you know, but so many, so many writers that come to me and say they want to do it don't really have the drive, determination, or motivation to do it. Right. And it is, you have to be able, I mean, you have to be able to take rejection and you have to be able to, to let your work be edited, and you have, to, you have to be able to take constructive criticism. I mean, so, I mean, look, and I get it, man. When you write, um, it's like you're putting your soul on the page. So if somebody, like, if somebody comes back and says, hey, this sucks, mm -hmm. like, the tendency is sometimes to feel like, well, man, do I, do I suck too? It's like, right, you know, yeah. so that, that can create a, people can get really defensive about that. Mm -hmm. You just have to put that in your kit bag and put it in the back of your mind and know that, there aren't sinister motivations behind people trying to help you. You know, mm -hmm. you have to learn to get better. It takes a lot of practice. And I guess what it boils down to is just what it, you know, it's, it's the same lesson that we all learned when we were in the military. If you want to do something and you want to do it bad enough, you just don't quit. And that's it. That um, is, and it's no different than with, with writing. That is great advice. And 
on top of that, too, if you're a veteran out there and you're listening, there are so many writing workshops for veterans right? across the country. I was in one here at NYU. They still do a free one. I just looked it up. But they have uh, each semester, they have a free writing workshop. I went a few years ago. And you just sit with other veterans who are working on writing and you read. And like you said, you learn how to take criticism, but you also learn how to give good constructive criticism. So you can kind of help each other in, in creative ways. But yeah, yeah, it is. I've read your stuff too. I've read your stuff too, and it's really good. And it takes practice. And like people feel like that, you know, whatever they put down on the page, it's like you know, you're you're a first time. If you're not a first time go, you suck. And that's yeah. just not true. Mm-hmm. Nobody. I mean, I rewrote Man of War five times, four or five times. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it takes a lot of practice, and so you just have to sort of. I feel like when people get out of the military or, or people, especially, especially, you know, our generation and generations that follow us, right. They don't, we don't allow ourselves to be beginners very well, Mm -hmm. you know, with writing. I mean, with a lot of things in life, really, you have to allow yourself to be a beginner. And so, uh, let people find the right people to teach coach and mentor you and stick with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very humbling because I think too, a lot of military people get out and you're already like, I know I felt, I was like, man, I'm older than my peers who are at the same level as me. So these like young kids are, I'm starting out with them and I need to be ahead and you Mm want to jump. You want that instant gratification, but like, even though you're older, you have to start at the bottom somewhere too. Sean, have you found writing to be cathartic for you as well? Well, for Outlaw Platoon, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you think about it, it's like, you know, something about taking the war out of yourself and putting it on the page, you know, it's, it's not in you. And if, if, you, if the war stays in you, um, I mean, it can be caustic. It can destroy somebody from the inside out. I mean, which is why I always tell veterans, if you've got a story to tell and you need to talk, talk, because there's something that happens when you talk about your story. It's like other people are helping you bear that burden. And it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you went through, whether it's combat or something traumatic in your life, you have to talk about it. There's a reason why that stuff helps. And so, you know, it, it helps when you're, when your brother or sister in arms is helping carry you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's no different psychologically. And so for, for writing, for writing outlaw platoon, yeah, absolutely. It helped me. And, and, and writing man of war, it just helped in a little bit of a different way, you know, because ultimately like everything that I do in life after, after leaving the military was, you know, helping to bring civilians a little bit closer to those who serve. You know, I feel like we're at a point in time in our country where the people that enjoy freedom on a day-to-day basis are really far away from the people that protect it. And mm-hmm. so you know, every single day, like part of my personal mission is to bring those two things closer together, because I think ultimately this country would be a better place if they if, if people really understood what it took to protect and defend freedom on a day to day basis. Yeah. Well, that's a very noble undertaking that you are involved in right now. The book is. Why, well, thank you, man. Juxtapose <laughs> yeah. to me writing with no pants on. And, I mean, <laughs> right. We're, we're good. I meet somewhere in the middle. If there's one thing to take away from this, it's to know that Sean Parnell wrote a great book without pants on. That's true. Where, <laughs> where can they pick it up? Where can we get this book? You can get you can get Man of War anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, wherever. Um, it's out in all formats. It's out in hardcover. It's out in ebook, and it's out in audiobook. So it's out there. Go grab awesome. a copy. Awesome. Uh, I feel like I feel like you 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 might dig it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Sean. Last thing, and then we're going to let you go because I know you're a busy guy. I think I mentioned this to you the last time you were here. But when are we going to start banging down some producers' doors to get Outlaw Platoon and or Man of War made into a movie? When are you ready to go? They're, they're there. They're out there. They're with production studios right now. I haven't awesome. settled on one. Awesome. And so you will be. You will be as soon as that happens. I'll come back on this podcast. And Perfect. Talk to you about. I can't it. wait to come does, to set. Does Eric Steele need a side piece in that film? Khan's <laughs> is asking yeah, specifically he side, because he, he wants a role. Piece. By the way. <laughs> 
if he has a side piece. If you want, if you want the gig, you 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 can have it. Uh-huh. Awesome, awesome. You all right, on the back of that horse all day long. <laughs> Giddy up! <laughs> all right, well, Sean, thank you so much uh, once again for joining us and for your service. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, thanks, right, Sean. Thank Thanks again to Sean for coming on the show. And that interview was brought to you by our friends at Hims. Sixty-six percent of men are losing their hair by the age of thirty-five including your boy, sadly, but I'm not losing my boner because I have these pills from Hems. Still have a boner. Suck it to the haters out there who said that I wouldn't have a boner at the age of 36. I do. It's not that great, but it gets the job done. Um, you need to go and get the job done, too, with our one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. That's at 4hems.com. You can go to 4hems.com slash zero. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash zero and get all your stuff that you need. It's not some... Hokey shit that you would get at like a gas station, no snake pills or oils, gas station supplements, prescription solutions that are backed by science only. No waiting room, no awkward doctor visit where they put a camera in your ass. They're not going to do that. I had a camera ass in my this week, and I wish I didn't. A camera but instead, ass. Yeah, had a camera straight up my ass. They won't do that because you don't have to go to the doctor to get this. You just have to go to forhims.com slash zero. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash zero. All right, some other big took a weird turn into your ass. Yeah, it did. Okay. Well, they they say they always say have fun. Forehands always say have fun, and they're cool like that. So I'm going to talk about boners. I love it. Like it. That's great. I like it. Yeah, hair and boners. That's what we do. (laughs) I mean, that's really the. That's what Texas does. Hair and boners. I mean that that really is like a military theme. You talk about. Like hairy dicks, you draw pictures. Like, because not only do the dick pics on like the porta potty stalls have to look nice, the hair has to be realistic. Perfect. That's yeah. when you know a good one, like curly cues and things like I that. I always did three big pubes when I would draw mine in the porta potty. <laughs> three like, big oh, yeah. curly. Kind of like Homer Simpson's <laughs> hair. Yep, basically. I yeah. like it when they're all in a row, like a Christmas tree farm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that too. One I wonder if you days. could put. I wonder if you could put forehems on your like junk. Like ladies, put it on your vagina if you want a super hairy bush. Uh I feel some like... of us don't need help with that. We're already set. <laughs> I wish that we had. I wish that there was boner pills. Like you know how men lose their hair on their head. Yeah. yeah. I wish that it was on your hair and on your dick, where you had like the old math teacher, like. Where it's super shiny head, like right in the middle of your pubes. This is one hell of an ad read. <laughs> yeah. Forehems.com slash zero. That's where you get that stuff. Um, our boy, General Mattis. We talked about General Mattis a lot today. Yeah. yeah. He's our but pal he's... for a reason. Yeah. So, Cons, you want to explain what's going on with Mattis and all these UCMJ crackdowns? Yeah, he just thinks that commanders have really gone soft. Uh, in a nutshell, the number of court, course martial use and- four hams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, the number of courts martial and other severe punishments uh, handed out to misbehaving troops across the military has steadily declined in recent years, raising concerns. You know what hasn't declined? What dicks? The, the boner Boners. strength of someone using for him. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Raising concerns at the Pentagon's highest levels that some commanders have gone soft on traditional military discipline, and, and the crux of the article that that was posted is that because we are having such a tough tough time recruiting people to the military, commanders are hesitant to kick people out the way they used to be. And as a result, you get guys in the military who are just doing blatantly terrible things, whether it's drugs, 
committing crimes, well, what have you. Shit. I don't agree with Mattis on this. I don't agree. Tell me why. I think, that, I think that we kick people out for dumbass shit. Yeah. For example, the first one of the first females to make it to the Marine Corps Infantry course was Uh-oh. just kicked out for fraternization. Yes, she was. And I that doesn't make any sense. No, like, I just, agree. There's fraternization all the time, and it's corporal to junior, like. That right. is E4 to below. I can't Get tell you how many relationships I saw that how were corporal many? to junior. Mm. And she ended up marrying And they're the guy. married now. Right. Like, they're married. So, I, I don't know. I uh, That is a bummer. I started reading. I'm like, ooh, trailblazing female who became infantry marine is getting kicked out for fraternization. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah. So, that. Set you guys back. That is a big deal at all. Like, who cares? I could see if it's. If it was the female who went through the officer course, yes, because you got to set the example, and right? She's dating somebody within her platoon. To me, that's way more troublesome because you affect like pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And the Marine Corps, like straight across thing, will like corporals affect pros and cons of junior enlisted. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I never, as a staff sergeant, would listen to my corporals about shit. Sergeants, yes, mm-hmm. like listen to what the sergeants have to say. Corporals, as far as pro-cons, no shot, man. They don't have any influence over that because the sergeants are so involved that the corporals, like, what they have to say, it goes a little bit of weight, but this isn't going to affect this dude's career. I like, can there's see, no though, reason to kick her out. If if this guy was, like, in her direct unit, like, if she was, like, directly over him and in an but infantry unit. But the only way that's unit, possible, like, fire team. Like, if right. she's fire team leader. Like I'm maybe. saying maybe there's something, like, I feel like this is, and the article's short, I'm like, maybe there's more to it that we don't know. Probably. Um, and, and, and I can see it really being an issue depending on how closely they did work together. If mm-hmm. it's infantry, I mean... That could be kind of a, a tough situation. Now, if stories come out and it was like she, they were out in the field and they're on the fire team and she was like, don't put together a machine gun instead, like my vagina. Like, I feel like that's a little problematic, <laughs> but, I don't, but, you're right, but yeah. I don't think that's like the case. Right. Like, no. It seems pretty straightforward fraternization case, which you rarely get administratively separated for. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't she, think people need to be said, separated. Like, I'm just tired of dealing with it. Yeah. So I'm going to accept this. Like, I, that is. That is the issue, I think, at hand with military discipline is because you can hold it over these junior level troops mm-hmm. who oftentimes don't have the leadership right. in place who are willing to buck the command, like a staff and CEO or a junior level officer that says, no, you fight this shit. Like yeah. what you should be getting right now is a page 11 at worst, a company level NJP. Mm-hmm. That's what you should get. That's what you should accept. Not something that stains your military career forever fuck out of here yeah, yeah no i don't i don't think we need to just start kicking p- people out and then and, and that is how we need to crack down and get tougher but there still needs to be some standard that is upheld and we still need to be punishing these people appropriately in this case of the marine i don't think she should have been kicked out of the marines yeah that seems that's what makes me think there's more to it or something i don't right. know i don't uh, know yeah to me that is a, this is the type of thing like put pain on people's bodies right like, i Right. I'm much more willing to say if Mattis would have said, you know what, we're going to put discipline back in the hands of the first sergeants and company gunnies, I'm all about it. Like, I think that's effective. We don't, have, we don't have to go see the company commander. I'm just going to put pain on your body mm-hmm. and do it in a responsible way. Teach NCOs and staff NCOs how to do it in a responsible way where you're affecting discipline, not affecting lives, like where you're putting people in real harm and danger when you there is no harm and danger in doing a million push-ups i was just gonna say yeah i I think it's important to be specific when chap says put pain on someone he doesn't necessarily mean physically try to harm them but to 
inflict PT on them. Lessons. Lessons <laughs> so that they can learn through PT. In a responsible way. Like, you're not going way. to die right, right, right. doing push-ups. You're not going to die from running. Like, be responsible, be a good leader, and let leaders lead. I think mm-hmm. that we get so caught up in the military culture of we have to do everything right by paperwork. I mean, going back to what I was talking about earlier with medicine. Like even medicine now, you don't have that one-on-one relationship with your doctor. Mm-hmm. Like they, all they worry about, especially in the military system, is documenting everything. Yep, and I think that we have, be, we have such a culture of litigation in the military now, where everything has to be documented. It's like basically HR, where if you mess up, you have to go get counsel. Then your counsel has a counseling, and then mm-hmm. you have to go step by step. Yeah. Just, just make them run, dude. Yeah, you need to just talk about your make, that is that is effective. Yeah. I've seen that be effective, where you could just make someone run or push till they can't push anymore. It is effective. Yeah. That will make them think twice about whatever infraction is they imposed. That they will definitely think twice the next time before doing that. Also, and if you really want to strip her of her rank, like you know, yeah, there you go. Right. If, if you if because you're that there, hurts. Just make- you want you want to act like a lance corporal? Good. You can be treated like a lance corporal, and we'll pay I mean, you like one bata- too. That's a that's a battalion level punishment. Yeah. That's it what has makes me think to do there's with separation. Yeah, there's either more to it or she just got completely screwed over. Which which being a lady, in well, the military, here's what I, I fear. Happens. Here's what I fear is that they were looking for any reason to kick, to her, kick her out, out so yep. they wouldn't have to deal with her. So oh, I can see it. Whereas if the same infraction, well, you, you know who's going to be on the case? Who's that? Kate Geronimo. Kate Geronimo is going to be on this case. Kate Geronimo. Yes. I yeah. would bet my life that she's going to be involved and she's going to get to the bottom of whatever happened to it. I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing what she has to say about it. But it's bullshit. Yeah. Overall, it's a fraternization charge and that is the bottom line of a fraternization charge. It's unnecessary. To me, it's a the from top to bottom, it's not a court martial's problem. There doesn't need to be more. It's the leadership in the military and if he wants to crack down, um you're saying we need to keep the numbers up and you mm-hmm. can't just go kicking people out. There is a huge amount of the population with boobies and vaginas that could be joining the military that aren't mm-hmm. because of shitty leadership that has made it. Look at the news. If you're a woman right now, after Marines United and all these scandals and yeah, everything. Yeah, why would you want to join? And such a small percentage compared to males joining, I feel like that has hurt numbers too. You're missing out on yeah. almost half the population because shitty leadership makes it easy to shit on women in the, in the military. Mm-hmm. So and there, the recru- that's my recruit- rant. I mean, recruiters have it tough. It's not like they yeah. can be like you guys listening and just go to ZipRecruiter, which is the smartest Ooh. way to hire for an opening. Feel free to go to ZipRecruiter and get the people that you need. They are a job site that sends you tons of wrong resumes that you sort through. That's not smart. There are, there's job sites that make you wait for the right candidates to do your job. Not smart. You know what's not smart? Using your relatives to fill in at work while you look for staff. That's not smart either. You know what's not smart? Making the the lottery the centerpiece of your retirement plan. Not a smart decision. You know what also is not smart? Letting your friends pick your karaoke song. I actually think that's kind of smart. Sorry, the recruiter. Sometimes that's that's fun for everyone. Russian roulette of of, uh, song choice at the karaoke bar. Never heard anybody. But if you want to get people into the jobs and in the right positions, Go with ZipRecruiter. It's powerful Mexican technology scans, thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get a qualified candidate fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is the number one rated for site for employers in the United States. And right now, our listeners can try for free. That's right, free at ZipRecruiter.com slash zero. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash zero. ZipRecruiter.com slash zero. ZipRecruiter, it's the smartest way to hire cons you had in your notes on the show that you want to talk about this dude johnny demon but he actually has he has recanted 
Okay, so it's Jamie Dimon, not Johnny Damon. <laughs> Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan. Maybe mm. you've heard of that bank. But I, I did not realize that. So initially he came out this week and said that he could beat President Trump in an election, and now he has since taken that back? I don't think he's take. He said that he's not going to run. That he was oh, like okay. feeling kind of hot headed whenever he was making those statements. Sure, sure. And he meant like to say beat his ass because Trump think, tweeted then, about him. Yeah, Trump oh, tweeted about him. Okay, saying bring it on. You're not very smart. You're actually weak. You're doing uh, well because of my great economic policies. I mean, Trump just feels like he has to fire back at everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. he does. And honestly, my guess is that Jamie Dimon saw that and said, you know what? I don't want to get in a tit for tat with Trump because that could very well potentially hurt my business. So I'm just going to say, you know what? I'm going to remove myself from this. So that was probably a smart move. But what that prompted me to want to ask you two, as we had an election today here in New York, and as we get yes. closer to 2020, if and, and I'm not just, don't say ridiculous people here, but realistic people, if you could have someone that would run on either side, I don't care who it is, but who would you like to see running in 2020? For president? Yes, for president. Um, for it, me, Sammy, Tammy Duckworth is okay. one. Uh, keep it serious. Oprah. I don't think Oprah's serious. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) I wish. Uh, Uh, Because we get so much free stuff. Yeah, that's true. You get a free whatever. You get a free whatever. (laughs) You get health care. You get get education. (laughs) You get tuition paid off. Yeah, that's my dream. What's Uh, yours? I had two. No, I had two. I I think Mitt Romney is, is a viable candidate. Yeah. And I also think, I think this one's maybe a little outside the box, and I honestly don't think he would actually do it, but Colin Powell. I think could be a good candidate. Rude question to ask. How old is he now? Colin Powell is probably in his close to 70, if not. Can Kinzinger run? Yeah, but he's not experienced enough. No, yeah. Well, I guess neither was was Obama when he ran. Neither was Donald Trump, for that matter, either. Uh, But, I mean, Kinzinger is not going to caucus against. He's not going to go against the Republicans. Right, right. And Colin Powell is 81. Oh, oh no. wow. I did not know that. And for that matter, uh, I am not going to say him anymore if he's 81. Also, I just yeah. decided something. Cons? Yes. You can run. Chaps, you're VP. I'll be uh, Secretary of Food or something. <laughs> Bren? I am 1,000% be... not running for anything no, ever. Oh, <laughs> lame. But I would, I would say Tammy Duckworth. I'll, I'll say Joaquin Castro. And in light of Obama, Beto O'Rourke. Is a mm-hmm. great He's policy speaker. Moving on up, yeah. He is moving on up. If he beats Ted Cruz, oh. I think that he winning as a Democrat in Texas is really saying something. Yeah. yeah. So if he wins that, I think that he'll be cast in the light. I mean, I can't even remember the last time that Texas had a Democrat leading the Senate. And don't say blue dog Democrats. Yeah. Like the Democrats <laughs> from the 70s, early 80s are not Democrats. Like, the Republican Party Republican. there needs a revamp because I feel like Ted Cruz is like. He's like the mom jeans of the Republican Party. <laughs> I feel like nobody likes that. Yeah, That's no. Family. He's a like nerd. Right, yeah. He's such a nerd. Nerd alert. So whatever side you're on, to, we can agree. Whoever runs his social media account does a good job, though. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever that kid is does a great job. Yeah. Our person or whatever. You're not the mom jeans. <laughs> Yeah, because next thing you know, our buddy um, Ted Cruz is going to be standing out there with a kite. You guys know what a kite is? Yes. Oh, Not yeah. something that goes in the thing, but it's going to be if you're tired of your vape always dying or losing your extra pod, you need kite. It's a new portable vape charger and a pod case that's compatible with Juul. Whether you're getting ready for a daily tailgate or an all-night party, kite will make sure that you're always charged up. It gives you a vape that lasts full, three full charges and three additional pods. 
Get yours at kitecharger.com and get $5 off for a limited time. Kite products are not associated nor sponsored by Jewel Labs Incorporated. Any save rounds alibis? Ben Franklin used a kite. He was cool as shit. <laughs> That's true. And he also used to use electricity to barbecue his turkeys. That's true. And charge his vapes. Yep. I'm thinking about making a field jacket part of my fall aesthetic. I don't know yet, Whoa. though. I'll, I'll keep everyone informed. Well, I trust your judgment. You're a fashionable fellow. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Beat, we'll Ho- beat Hawaii. Stay tuned. All right. It's on the retreat.